Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge. I hope you survived the, uh, you know, turkey and mashed potato coma that uh, maybe I experienced possibly maybe for the last four days because I've been eating turkey dinner for four days after turkey. Because we make, a, I don't know about you, but we make a lot of food, which one of the, my favorite things about Thanksgiving is not that we have all the food only on Thanksgiving. It's that I have leftovers for like the next week. And, uh, and, I, and I like it. Like, this is good stuff. We can gorge on turkey and and mashed potatoes and gravy and all kind of stuff, and I have been doing that. And so whether you spent Thanksgiving with family or with friends and you traveled or you didn't travel, or maybe your Thanksgiving was, I want to be grateful by myself. Thank you very much. Maybe you did that. That's okay. Some people are like, you know what? I'm going to be grateful on my own. That's cool. No matter how you spent Thanksgiving, I hope that you took some time to be grateful. And that's what we talked about last week, but today we're going to kind of get into something different. So when I was in high school, uh, I woke up a little bit late one morning. I don't know, anybody have teenagers in your house that wake up late sometimes in the morning? Okay, a few of you do. All right, so when I was a teenager, every now, I usually did a pretty good job, but this particular morning I woke up really late. And so I had to rush, you know, kind of, I was like, I saw the clock, I'm like, you know, that kind of freak out moment. And I threw all my clothes on and I grabbed something to eat on my way out to the garage. And by this time I was old enough to drive. And so I would drive one of our family vehicles over to the, the high school. And so I was really late. And so I jumped into the vehicle and I pushed the garage door opener button and I threw my backpack on the passenger seat and I threw my food over there because I, you know, I was eating on the way. And I just just threw the thing in reverse and I started backing out and everything was good except for two seconds later I heard this intense squeaky grinding metal on metal noise <coughs> yeah that kind of a thing it was awesome sounded a little bit like a horror movie and what I had done you guys already fa- probably figured it out I did not give the garage door enough time to get out of the way before I backed into it And so, yes, I open my door and I look back and I see that the bottom two sections of the garage door are mangled and hanging off of their hinges. They weren't, they're not going up anymore, right? And I'm also late for school. This is a great day and a great start to the day, right? This is awesome. I'm so excited about this. Now, here's why I tell that story. I don't remember what my parents told me at that moment, but my guess is one of the questions that they had in their head, and it's very possible that they were asking this out loud, but parents, you already know that the question that they're asking, and that question is, what were you thinking? (laughs) Any parents in the room ever asked that question, either out loud or in your head? What were you thinking? Now, parents, what do we know the answer to that question already is? They weren't thinking. (laughs) <laughs> Why do we ask that question? We already know. They weren't thinking. And, and in that moment, I was just in a rush. I was not thinking. I was definitely not thinking clearly, was I? I was not thinking clearly at all. And so this question of what you were thinking, questions point us in a direction, don't they? So if my parents ask, what were you thinking? I'm not saying like, I'm going to give them an answer like, what, what am I thinking for lunch? Or what am I thinking, you know? No, no, no. I know what they're thinking when they ask, what were you thinking? They're not happy with me at that moment. Questions reveal what we're thinking. Questions matter. Questions are important. Questions lead somewhere. They lead to answers. Now, here's why I bring that up. 
Today, as Laura already said, is the first Sunday of Advent. And what we normally do at Northridge, if you've been to Northridge for any length of time for a Christmas season, what you will know is generally what we do is we, for the several weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, we kind of unpack the Christmas story. We talk about Mary, we talk about Joseph, we talk about the wise men, we talk about, you know, King Herod, or we talk about all different things. And we have looked at the Christmas story, I don't know, about a hundred different ways it feels like at Northridge since we started. But today and this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to really hone in on the Christmas story during Advent. We're going to hone in on the reason for Advent. And you know who that is, right? We're going to talk about the reason for this season, cheesy as it may be, who is Jesus. And the way that we're going to do this for the next several weeks, leading all the way up to our candlelight services is we're going to ask a very simple but a very important question. And that question is very simply this. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Now, my guess is here in this room and online, we know that Jesus, we know, we know a lot about Jesus. Right? We know that he died on a cross. We know he was born, came to earth, that he was laid in a manger. We, we've heard about the stories about Jesus. But the question is, do we know who Jesus is? Do we know who he is? Well, this day and this Advent season, we're going to ask that question. We're going to answer that question. So, the truth is, if you were to go around and ask people all over the world... The vast majority of people would tell you they believe that Jesus is a real person. That, that he was a guy that lived 2,000 years ago and lived in or around the region known as Israel. Most people in the world would tell you they believe that he's a real guy. That he's a real person that actually lived on planet earth. But here where is where the paths diverge. Where do they diverge? You already know this. Most people don't disagree that Jesus actually existed. Where we tend to disagree with a lot of people is who Jesus is. Who is he? Is he a prophet? Is he a good moral teacher? Is he just a really godly man? Who is Jesus? This is the crux of what separates Jesus for us as followers of Christ and just another good guy for everybody else. So who is Jesus? Well, uh, honestly, I could probably start this morning by telling you who I think Jesus is. But you guys probably would already guess what my answer would be, right? You would probably already be able to guess what I would be able to say and some of the things I might mention. And so we could start with what Pastor Brent believes Jesus is, who he is. Or what I could do is maybe I could throw out some biblical scholars out there for you. And I could tell you the biblical scholars. And, and maybe I could quote some archaeologists who have been in Israel and they've dug up artifacts. And they could tell you who they think Jesus is. Or we could look at professors or pastors or mainstream media and we could talk about who they think Jesus is. But do you know where I think probably it would be best to start a series about Jesus? Where should we start if we want to find out who Jesus is? Whose opinion should we maybe look at first? Probably look at Jesus's. 
So the question I want to answer today is, who is Jesus? But I want to answer that by asking, who does Jesus say Jesus is? Who does Jesus say he is? And so I'm going to go into this. And uh, the truth is that Jesus claims that he is a lot of things. And so we could pick from about a hundred different things that Jesus says, I am this, or I, you know, this is who I am. But I want to give you what I think is the three most important ones. The three most important things that Jesus says that he claims he is for the world, for us, for you and I. All right? So the first one is this. Jesus is God. Now, for a lot of us who grew up in church, this is not really that big of a deal. Right? Let's be honest. You're like, that's our first point. I could have slept in a little bit more and come for number two and number three. Just wait. <laughs> right? Because you're like, I already knew this. I already get this. Jesus is God. But the truth is that I don't know that we fully understand how big of a deal that is. Jesus is God. Jesus is not close to God. Jesus is not like God. Jesus is not godly. Jesus is God in the flesh. Let me give a couple examples of this. So there was one day that Jesus was teaching at the temple, right? And, uh, and he was teaching this large group of people, and he's talking to them. And all of a sudden, the people are, are realizing, okay, this guy really has something to say. And we are kind of thinking he might be, you know, somebody that's really important. And so we need to find out. And so you know what they do? Remember what I said about questions? Questions are important. Questions matter. Questions lead somewhere. This group of people that Jesus was talking with at the temple, they ask him a question. So let's pick it up there. John chapter 10, starting with verse 24. The people surrounded Jesus and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. This is Jesus' answer. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now, I want to focus on that last statement that Jesus makes. He, he answers and says, but you don't understand. I've already told you that I'm God. I've already told you that I'm the Messiah. But now I'm going to tell you again in a different way that I and the Father, Father and I, we're one. Now, now some of you might look at that phrase and you go, but Jesus didn't say I am God. That's, that's what some people want Jesus to say there. I am God. But the fact is that when he said the Father and I are one, he didn't mean that like we're unified. He meant that they are the same. Jesus didn't mean we're, we have a close relationship. We're good. The God and I are good. No, he meant I am God. Father, the Father and I, Father God and I are one. We're one and the same God. Now, some of you might not be quite convinced that that phrase means that. Let me give you a couple of proofs to this. 
The first one is this. Do you know what happens right after Jesus says that? If you've read this story, you already know what happens right after Jesus says that. So they asked him this question. Jesus is in front of all these people, and he says, the Father and I are one. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am God in the flesh. You are standing in front of God right now. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Do you know what happens next? Let's go to the next verse and find out. Verse 31 in John chapter 10. Once again, notice this has happened once before. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill Jesus. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. The Israelites in that moment knew what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I am God. And they were ready to kill him for it. Because I don't know about you, but how many of you have had, anybody in here, how many of you have had somebody come up to you and say, hey, I'm just letting you know, I'm God. Anybody had that happen this last week? How many of you had somebody act like that in your family this week at Thanksgiving? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Don't go there. <laughs> right? Don't go there. People may act like they are God, right? Or God's gift to the family sometimes. How many of you lost some of your gratefulness when that person showed up? You're like, uh, you are not God. Right? Sometimes people act like they are God, but in reality, we all know they're not. And so if somebody comes in and says and claims, I am God, this is kind of a big deal. And the Israelites took God very seriously, and so this is blasphemy to them. This could not be more offensive to them. And so they were ready to execute Jesus in the way that they would typically do that, by throwing stones at him until he dies. Because of what he just said. Jesus is saying, I am God. Now, let me ask you this question. And this takes us to the second proof. If you say something, and as a result of you saying something, somebody misunderstands what you were saying, what you meant by what you said, and they're ready to hurt you or hit you in the face or take you out or try to kill you for it, how many of you are probably going to try to correct them and say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. What I meant when I said this was this. Are we okay? Are we good? Isn't that the first thing you would do if somebody misunderstood there and, and they were going to hurt you as a result of that? But what's interesting is Jesus does not correct them when they claim that Jesus claims that he is God. Jesus doesn't correct them. This is the moment that where Jesus can say, guys, no, no, no. I said the Father and I are one. Like, we have a good relationship. I know him pretty well. That's what I meant. I wasn't saying I'm God. Where are you guys going with this? But Jesus doesn't say that. He's quiet. Why? He doesn't refute it at all. Why? Because it's the truth. He is God. And he wants them to know the truth. That he is divine. Now, let me give you one more example of this. This is a totally different time, a little bit earlier. Remember that it said once again the people wanted to stone him? It happened before. 
This is not the first time Jesus has been, uh, people have tried to kill him. Okay, so let me take you back to that time. He's in the temple again. He's teaching people. And then there's this, this moment where Jesus says that he's seen Abraham, that he knows Abraham. Now, let me read this and you'll understand why this seems a little crazy if Jesus says this to the Israelites. Okay, this is what he, so he just got done saying, I see Abraham, I know Abraham, I can talk to him. And then the people said this, John 8, 57. The people said, to Jesus, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, I just want you to imagine how crazy this is. Okay? Abraham, when Jesus is speaking these words, Abraham died hundreds and hundreds of years before this. Right? They're nowhere near Abraham's lifetime. Abraham's been gone for hundreds of years. And Jesus just said, I've seen Abraham. I've talked with him. Like Abraham and I, we know each other. And the Israelites are wait, Jesus, you're not even like you're not even 50 years old. Abraham died hundreds of years ago. How in the world do you have you seen him? Just imagine how crazy that is, right? That's kind of like me telling you guys coming up on Sunday morning and saying, hey, I have a story to tell you. So I had coffee with Napoleon Bonaparte earlier this week. He's actually not that bad of a guy. He was a little bit misunderstood, kind of short, you know. <laughs> Commanded an army, tried to conquer the world and all that stuff, but he's just really misunderstood. We had a great conversation. How many of you are going to be like, oh, yeah, Pastor Brent, okay, when you start looking for a new pastor? It's crazy. Jesus has just claimed that he existed before Abraham was even born. And that he knows him, that he's seen him, that he's talked to him. This is crazy talk for the Israelites. And Abraham is one of the most well-respected father of their nation guy. You do not mess with Abraham. And now Jesus seems to be using him as a crutch to kind of build his reputation, at least according to them. And so Jesus is claiming when he says, I am, by the, by the way, do you remember that phrase from the Old Testament? Who else says, I am that I am? God does, doesn't he? God tells Moses, I am that I am. It means in the Hebrew and now in the Greek, when Jesus says it, it means the same thing. To be fully and completely present. To exist in the fullest extent of the term. You can't exist longer or more than Jesus, more than God. They say, they don't have to say, I am this. I am. I am the epitome of existence, God says. And that's what Jesus is saying. Before Abraham was even born, I existed. Again, Jesus is claiming that he is God. That is no small claim. What's the second thing that Jesus claims? The second thing that Jesus claims is Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the Israelite nation, but he's also the Savior of the world. He claims that he is the Messiah. So the Israelites have been looking for and praying for and hoping for a Messiah, a Savior, to come and save their people. For hundreds of years they've been watching for him. And now Jesus clearly claims, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the one that you have been looking for. 
Again, this is a huge statement. So let me give you a couple examples of how he claims this very clearly. So do you guys remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well? Do you remember that conversation? He, Jesus basically uh, puts himself in a place where he's at this watering well in the hottest part of the day because he knows there's this woman that's trying to avoid everybody else because she's been living a life of sin and shame. And she doesn't want to face all the people in her community. By the way, there are a lot of people in our community that are hiding because of their shame. There are a lot of people, they may not be the woman at the well that's going in the hottest part of the day because she wants to avoid all the stares and all the looks and all the comments. But let me just say, in our day and age, we've, all we've done is we've nuanced our shame building a little bit more so that it looks better on people. But let's, let's just be honest, it's the, still the same stuff. It's still shame. And there's a lot of people hiding in our community from shame. And what our goal as a church is, is to help bring Jesus to them so that they know that there is somebody that sees them for who they really are and who they can really be and that loves them unconditionally. And so Jesus meets this woman at the well because he has something important to say to her. And at the end of the conversation, she realizes this is a guy who knows stuff. Like Jesus has already said, I know who you've been with. I know you've been married this many times, all these different things. They've had this long conversation. And then at the very end, she realizes, okay, this guy is a prophet or something. He knows stuff about me that only a prophet would know. And so this is the statement that she makes at the very end of the, of the conversation. John chapter 4, verse 25 the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then listen to what Jesus says. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Imagine this moment. This woman who has been shamed by the rest of her community. Over and over again. That's why she's at the well in the middle of the day. Nobody has given her the time of day. Everybody knows she's lived a life of sin. She's messed up. She, has, she, she should live in shame. That's, that's what the community's been communicating to her her whole life. And she's avoiding them. That's why she's at the well. And Jesus comes into the midst of that. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Of all the people that he reveals first that he is the Messiah to, he chooses this woman at the well. This is an amazing moment. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Now later on, Jesus will claim basically the same thing without saying the word Messiah. You guys remember Thomas? What do we say when somebody doesn't believe something? What do we call them? We call them a doubting Thomas. You know where that comes from? The Bible. <laughs> a lot of our phrases come from the Bible. It comes from Thomas, who was kind of a doubter, right? He was just, he was kind of a skeptic. He was one of those late adopters, 
You know, you know, the people that are late adopters, you have early adopters, they're like, they're jumping on every scheme. You'd be like, hey, this is going to be the next greatest thing. We're going to be rich. And some people are like, okay, sounds good. I'll buy a thousand stocks. Let's do it. Right? And then it tanks two days later. You're like, oh, okay, maybe not. Right? And then there's late adopters. You're like, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. Well, I want to see how things go first. Let's see how you do. Show me some sales. And then we maybe will get on board. And then the late adopters. Thomas is a late adopter. And so he has a lot of questions because, you know, he's a doubting Thomas. And so he has this moment where Jesus says, you guys are going to know the way. You know, you know where we're going. And Thomas, apparently, he didn't know where Jesus was going. And he asked the question. John chapter 4, or John chapter 14, verse 5. This is what Thomas says. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. Thomas, he's like, no, God, Jesus, we don't know. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And then listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he makes that claim very clearly, very boldly. All right, let's go to the third one quickly. What's the last thing that Jesus claims that is the most important thing that he claims? Jesus also claims that he is resurrected. Jesus is resurrected. Now again, if you've gone to church for any length of time, if you follow Christ for any length of time, you already know that this is true, right? You already say, okay, yes, we know he was resurrected. But here is the real crux of the matter. If Jesus is not resurrected, then nothing else can be true. Right? If Jesus pulled the wool over our eyes as to the fact that he was resurrected, then nothing, we can't trust anything else. This is the whole crux of the matter. Let me just prove to you that not only did Jesus say he's going to, that he is resurrected, but he actually claimed before he was resurrected that he was going to be resurrected. So remember the moment after the Last Supper? Jesus and the disciples are walking from wherever they had the Last Supper. We don't know exactly where. But they were on their way from where they had the Last Supper to the garden where Jesus is going to pray. Remember that? He's in agony. He's sweating drops of blood. Like he knows that the arrest and the crucifixion is about to happen the next day. And so he's kind of, Jesus is overly stressed at this point. And he's getting ready to pray in the garden. Well, they're walking to the garden, so they're almost there. But Jesus and the disciples are walking and they're talking at the same time. And Jesus drops this bombshell on them. This thing out of nowhere that's just going to blow them away. They don't realize what's about to happen. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 31. On the way, they're walking. Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're one of the disciples, there's probably two moments where you go, say what? Right? The first one is when Jesus says, okay, so tonight something's going to go down and you guys are all going to run away. You're going to leave me. 
You're going to drop me like a bad habit. You're out of here. That's the first moment where you go, uh, things were really good. Like we just had a nice supper. We started this thing called communion. They didn't call it that at that point, right? But they kind of did this whole thing. And like everything's been going okay at this moment, but they could feel there's some intensity. And all of a sudden Jesus says, you're going to leave me. Not too far in the distant future. And just in a little bit, you're, you're all going to scatter. And then the second thing he says is, after I raise from the dead, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Now, I don't know, how many of you have had somebody say that, almost like it's just a part of normal life? Tomorrow, um, you know, after I die, then I'm going to actually meet you a few days later, and we're going to watch, you know, the football game together. How's that? Does that sound good? Say what? Doesn't make any sense, does it? It seems crazy, really. And Jesus says, you're going to scatter, and then I'm going to raise from the dead, and then I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I was dead and after I raised from the dead. Jesus claims that he's going to be resurrected. He made a very clear claim. And you guys, if you've been to Northridge for any length of time, I've done several messages proving the authenticity of the fact that Jesus clearly was resurrected from the grave. That he didn't just faint. He wasn't like his heart didn't slow down or, you know, people didn't steal his body from the tomb. All that, we've been through all of that. I don't have time for all that today. But Jesus very clearly claimed that he was going to be resurrected. He was resurrected. And then after he resurrected from the grave, he was seen by hundreds of people at different times. So he proved that he was resurrected in bodily form. And by the way, you know, the guy that had to, you know, touch his hands and feet and like, hey, I don't, I don't believe it until I actually see it. You know who that was? Doubting Thomas. Had to see Jesus. If doubting Thomas was convinced that Jesus was resurrected, my goodness, I think we are good. Because that guy doubted everything. Jesus claimed that he was resurrected. Now, you might be asking yourself right now, why does any of this matter? kind of cool. We talked about who Jesus is and who Jesus claims to be. That's great. I'm glad we heard all this stuff. But now it comes down to the question, why does it matter that God sent Jesus to die for us and that when he did, Jesus claimed this, I am God, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, and I am resurrected from the dead. Why does that matter at well, it matters because Jesus forces us, yes, I said forces us, into three choices about him. Jesus leaves you only three options when it comes to him and his life and what he claims. So C.S. Lewis, you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis. He's the guy that wrote, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, amazing Christian author. And I don't know if everybody knows this, but the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, that fantasy story is an allegory for Christianity. And it's amazing. So the, the whole thing with the lion in there, the lion represents Jesus in that story. He's one of the most brilliant guys. I've, I mean, he's just amazing. When he was alive and writing and all that stuff, he just did some amazing things. But C.S. Lewis came up with something called the trilemma. Now, how many of you have heard of a dilemma? 
a dilemma is a difficult option between two choices, right? Two, two possible paths. Well, C.S. Lewis came up with the trilemma. He said, Jesus forces us into a trilemma. A problem of three possible choices. What are the three choices when faced with Jesus? The first one is because Jesus claims that he is God, he is Messiah, he is Lord, he is Savior, he is resurrected, he forces us to think option one is he's a liar. Maybe you've never even considered that. The first option that you have to consider is that Jesus is a liar. That he knew he wasn't God, but he claimed to be God anyway. He's a con man. That's the first option. Option number two is slightly different. Option two is that Jesus actually believed he was God, but he had a mental illness. That he was hallucinating that he was God. And so he acted like he was God because he truly believed he was God. So he's either a liar or he's hallucinating. Or what's the third option? He is who he says he is. Right? Uh, now I get it. Here in, on Sunday morning, a lot of times we don't talk about the other options. We like to just be like, uh, Jesus is God. Done. Don't question it. Let's move on. There's the door. Right? Sometimes in church we like to act like we, we know and this is why and this is how and this is the thing. And, and we kind of do that. And, and we don't like to throw out the options. But the truth is that Jesus forces us into these three choices. He does not give us any other options. There are no other options. You, you might be trying to come up with some. There are no other options. You know why? Because Jesus himself claimed to be God. Let me prove this to you. What if a few months from now, I stand up on this stage, on this platform, and I start to claim, hey guys, God just revealed this to me, but guess what? I'm God. What do you know? Ha, I didn't even know that. I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I am the chosen one who's, you know, he talks about Jesus returning. Ha, I've returned. And he wears plaid. Isn't that cool? Wow. I'm God. Isn't that great? So all you, you just need to believe in me and, and you can have forgiveness of your sins. Now, here's the truth. If I start claiming that, what are your three options? for me as your pastor. Number one, you can kick me out because I'm a liar, right? You all know you're like, you're not God. <laughs> we know that. Like you're so far from God. We know you're not God. <laughs> so you're a liar for sure. Con man, replace him. We need a new pastor. Okay. And by the way, if I start claiming I am God, please do that very quickly. Right? Because I am a liar. Or, number two, what's the other option? He has some kind of mental illness. He has started to hallucinate. He has lost touch with reality. And he thinks he's God. We all know he's not. Therefore, we need to remove him as the pastor. Option not one and option two both end in the same way. What? You have to remove me. Or there's option three. You can believe that what I'm saying is truth. 
that I am God. Well, thankfully, I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Nor will I ever claim to be. But Jesus does claim to be God. And it forces you into an option of three things. Liar, hallucinating, or he is who he says he is. You can't choose Jesus as a good moral teacher. You know why you can't choose that? Because Jesus didn't say that he is one. You can't choose Jesus as some guy who dictated some of this book and we can believe some of it. Jesus doesn't leave that option open to you. So you're either going to believe it or you're not going to believe it, but you can't, but you can't go part way. Jesus is not just a godly man who said some really good things. I'll take the uh, golden rule. That one's pretty good. Um, He said, like, we should serve each other, like servant leadership. I like that one. Um, All this other stuff, though, I don't know. Jesus didn't leave you that option. Jesus said, I am God. You either believe that I'm God, I'm Messiah, I am resurrected, or you don't take me at all. You have to kick me out of your life. Those are the only three options. Jesus forces those three options on us. He's either God or he's not. There's no gray middle ground area on that one. Because Jesus doesn't leave that open. And so, today... Remember what I said about questions. Questions matter. Questions are important. Questions lead somewhere. And so the most important question that I want to leave you with today is this. And I mean this very seriously when I say you should wrestle with this question for you. If your parents believe this but you don't, you haven't wrestled with this question. If you go to church because it seems like the right thing to do, but you're not sure where you're at, you have to still wrestle with this question. If you're not sure where you stand on God's word, on what what you believe about God's word, then you've got to wrestle with this question. And the question is very simply this. Who is Jesus to you? Not to your parents, not to your kids, not because you're supposed to, not because you were brought up to believe that. Who is Jesus to you? What do you believe about who Jesus is? Because your answer to that question dictates everything you do in life, doesn't it? How you treat people, how you're going to approach eternity. What you believe about Jesus is literally everything. Everything. When we pass from this life into the next, into eternity, 
that's not the time where we get to kind of figure this out. It's not. Now is the time to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus to you? This is why Christmas exists. This is why this Advent season exists. is because Jesus came into our midst. Emmanuel, God with us, so that we could relate to him and understand that God loves us and will do anything to help us realize that he is God and he can do anything for us. So who is Jesus to you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are Lord. You are Savior. You are Messiah. You are God. You claim that you have ultimate power over every aspect of this life. You claim that you are God, that you are resurrected from the grave, that you defeated sin on the cross and you defeated death by resurrecting from the grave. You leave us no other options but to call you a liar or a hallucinator or Lord. And so today, as the people that are in this room or listening online, watching online, I pray that you would impress upon them the truth of who you are. May they ask this question honestly, who is Jesus to them? And may your answer to them be, I am God, but am I God to you? Am I Lord? Am I Savior to you? Am I the Messiah to you? Did I resurrect from the grave for you? Did I die on the cross for you? Because until it gets personal, it's not real. And so I pray that you would help us to wrestle with that question. Who are you, Jesus, to each one of us? And may we come out on the other side of that knowing, believing, understanding even that you are God, that you are good, that you are our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, and that you went to the cross to die for us and you defeated death by resurrecting from the grave for us as well. You made the way for us. Help us to take it. We pray this and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.